Well, I asked Alexis to sing that song by Billie Eilish, written for the feature-length Barbie movie, which I haven't seen and I'm not recommending. But um, she said she was writing it, thinking as Barbie, and then she said the strangest thing was suddenly it was like, no, this is me. I'm writing this for me. And she started talking to all of her friends, and they all agreed. And, you know, I was watching her sing that at, uh, on YouTube on, at Lollapalooza in Chicago. And it was so interesting to see all of the, the young women there just bawling their eyes out, singing it with her. And I think it's the haunting question of our day. What was I made for? Our teenagers are dying for lack of an answer. Our culture disintegrating before our very eyes for lack of an answer. And I think that Jesus wants to give us an answer. And it might not be what we would think that it would be. As we delve into this chapter today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 13 and we're going to look at really some mind-boggling um, verses, and we're going to see what Jesus did on that last night before his crucifixion. Maybe we can also discover the answer to Billie Eilish's question, what was I made for? John 13, we'll just read through the chapter. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I like that a lot. You know, this passage is going to begin with a parable in action rather than a sermon. Jesus is going to act out something for his disciples, but it's going to be genuine. It's going to be coming from his very heart and in this remarkable event that we're going to see, as simple as it was and strange in many ways, John sees some very deep and remarkable meanings. Two movements, I think, in the event. And, and he kind of gathers them up. He sees this, John sees this remarkable scene where there's a demonstration of the unchanging love of Jesus for his disciples. Jesus is going to wash their feet. And John knows that it's all coming together. It's to the crux of what's going to happen. This is the night before Jesus dies. And Jesus knows I've got to get one last important thing across to my guys. I've got to show them something. And John is stunned that Jesus is not thinking about himself. He's still thinking about them. But the second part of the movement concerns Judas, the one who betrayed him. John sees in this act of foot washing a demonstration of the truth that is in Jesus, of the remarkable passion that strips away all pretense and hypocrisy and reveals things exactly as they are in this dramatic act in which Jesus stoops down to wash the feet of Judas Iscariot, as well as those of the other disciples. He sees a manifestation of the honesty of God, that reality of God that exposes all hypocrisy in our hearts. 
and by revelation seeks to lay hold even of the traitor's heart, the one who was going to betray him. Jesus still reaching for his heart, and he fought to the end for the deliverance of Judas. I think a prayer that we could pray together today is just, Lord, thank you for the love that stoops to serve me. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your willingness. You're seeking to deliver me from my own hypocrisy. Help me to surrender once again to the way you're working in my life. You know, and it says, he loved them to the end. The wording of this verse in the Greek is even more significant. We can't really get it right in English, but it has something to do with he loved them to the fullest extent. He loved them as far as it was possible. And I, I think that there's something precious and, and powerful in that, that even life-changing, the love of Jesus for his own, his sheep, those who follow after him. It's not an accident that Paul in, the, in Ephesians chapter five compared Jesus' love for us like the love of a husband for a wife because Jesus has a love affair with his own. And, you know, there's a kind of love that I have for all of you that I feel deep in my heart. There's a, a dream that I have for all of you. But it's nothing like the covenant love that I have with Laura as I made those vows to her. And I said, I will love you. I will cherish you. I will be to you a true and faithful husband in good days and bad days. And I didn't know there were going to be as many bad days in those early days. In sickness and in health till death do us part. That's what Jesus has said to you. There's a love for you. You know, he loves the world. He said that he would go to the ends of the earth and he would take all those little lost sheep and put them on his shoulders and carry them home. But the way he loves you as a believer is so much more intense. Do you realize it? Do you feel it? Do you know it? You know, he loved us to the end, having loved us with words and touch. He loved us with blood and pain and death. He loved us in life. He loved us in death. In spite of our rebellion, in spite of our running, he's patient. That's what we long for. And this is what we have by faith. This, this love that lasts, it's not fickle. It's, it, it's not uncertain. It's not capricious. It's stable. It's strong. It's constant. A love that lasts over time. We long to be loved radically, deeply, excessively, passionately. And that's what John says. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end, to the fullest extent. It went long. It went deep. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, so I want you to notice that little word, so. This is what Jesus understood. He understood completely who he was, that he had all authority, all power. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to think for a minute, if you had all the power of omnipotent God, what would you do? I mean, I could think of some good things to do, right? You know, some people I would turn into dust, you know? Some people, you know, I'd say, okay, I'm going to make you into, you know, you just think I would do all of these things. if I. What, but look what God did. Jesus, he knew he had, he had all that. He had all the power of omnipotent God. And we look and we see God wrapped in a towel on his hands and knees with water that became dirty very quickly because of the dirty feet, washing those ugly, dirty feet of the disciples. It's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. Missiologist Dwayne Elmer says this, when God chose to connect with humanity, he did so as a servant. It was a most unlikely way to connect, for servants are usually invisible. They wear white uniforms, perform lowly tasks, remain largely silent, and if effective, seem not to be there. People look past them and rarely acknowledge them until needed for a chore. Their rights are few, their power negligible, and their status non-existent. Why would Jesus choose to come as a servant? All the images of servant seem so counter to an all-powerful God. And Elmer goes on, I can only think of one reason Jesus came as a servant. It is the very nature of God to serve. You couldn't really make it up. I mean, if you were writing a story, this wouldn't be the story. I mean, this story hardly makes sense to us. You know, it, it, it hardly is. It, it's very difficult to understand. It's the very nature of God to serve. And as his body, his church, when we're filled with his spirit, it becomes our nature too. As we obey this, we become God's hands and God's feet, his voice, his heartbeat. It's been said that some of the world's greatest sermons are lived rather than preached. And that's what it means to share your life at Community of Faith. What would it be like to be God's hands holding a little baby in the nursery so that their parents could come and find out about this love that God has for them so they could love that little baby with God's love? What would it be like to be the voice of Jesus to a little preschool child telling him that, God loves him. How would it feel to wipe the tears of a scared teenager whose parents are going through a divorce and tell her, Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, and I'm going to walk with you 
I'm going to pray for you every day. Did, did you know that Jesus works in our parking lot? I mean, I've, I've seen him out there. He doesn't look exactly like I thought. Pretty sweaty most of the time with a huge grin and a wave. God wants you to find a place to share your life here at Community of Faith. And not just here. There's a whole world out there longing to see Jesus in the flesh. It was Jesus through us who cried and prayed with that mother in Nicaragua whose two sons are in jail, whose daughter is sick with AIDS. It was Jesus' hands who touched the three-year-old hot with fever in Mexico, provided medication her mother couldn't afford. It was Jesus through us that built that orphanage in Costa Rica before we ever built our first building where a tiny brother and sister could be rescued from being prostituted in a crack house and given a whole new lease on life. It was Jesus who saw the laughter and smiles of pure joy on the faces of people drinking clean water in their village for the very first time in Burundi in the heart of Africa. And it was Jesus through us that pulled up the faces of those very same Batwa people and restored dignity to a forgotten people. It was Jesus through us that got down in the red clay and made bricks and built homes side by side with a people who needed to know how much God loved them. And it was Jesus teaching at our school in northern India where several hundred little boys and girls rescued from sex slavery learned that they matter to God and that he loves them and he has a plan for them. The whole world is longing to see Jesus. And as his church, his body, it's our responsibility to make sure that they do. The whole world is crying out, what was I made for? And here's the thing. Jesus came to serve you. Have you let him serve you? He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. It's kind of mind-boggling. It's not really easy to accept. In fact, look what Peter did. Jesus, he's washing their feet. Verse 6, he, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. At first glance, it appears as though Peter's response arises out of his own sense of unworthiness before Jesus. But when you look a bit closer, you can see that it's really an expression of intense personal pride. Peter is offended by Jesus' actions because this is a rebuke to his own self-sufficiency. He doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet. Now, he'd be content to wash Jesus' feet, but it's an affront to his sense of independence that Jesus should do anything for him. He shows the same pride later when he says, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. No, Jesus was gonna lay down his life for him. See, we don't wanna admit to anybody that we need anything. That's what Peter's doing here. Peter doesn't want to acknowledge his need to be washed and letting Jesus do this menial act. It, it kind of 
humiliates him. It stands as an example of the pride in our own hearts that resists Jesus' ministry to us. He wants to serve you. The God of the universe, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand that. You know, one of the remarkable things about the gospel is that it always brings us down to the lowest point. If we're going to really know God, we must stand in utter humiliation before him and let him minister to us. All human pride must be brought low before him, before we can receive what God wants us to have from his hand. And that's where we struggle. We don't like to be delivered to a place where we have nothing to offer. We want to add something. Maybe another prayer this morning. Lord, forgive me for the pride that is often disguised as humility. Teach me that I desperately need you to minister to me and that I myself have nothing to offer. Goes on, Jesus answers Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. There's an understanding in the Greek. He knew from the beginning who was going to betray him. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So interesting, that word blessed. It means joyful. It means a deep happiness welling up from within, inside of us. It's, Jesus is saying something. If you realize what I'm saying, if you understand who I am, how high I am, and that I have come to serve you, and that you can trust me, and you can let me lead you down low to serve with me, you will find meaning, purpose, joy, life. You'll find that the deepest joys in life are not when people are hailing you for your status, but when they are helped by you and your service. Serving others brings the most deep, joyful, satisfying life. I think it might have been what Paul was thinking of this very passage when he said, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 18, he starts talking about Judas. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me 
accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, very human, all God, all man. He got troubled and he said, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a, a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. He just always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He couldn't get over it, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Doesn't that sound like Peter? Leaning back against Jesus, John asked him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him since Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. See, Jesus knew from the scriptures that one of those close to him would betray him. He knew from the beginning who it would be. Judas didn't know that. Judas didn't know from the beginning that he was going to betray Jesus. He was ignorantly following his own greed, resisting every effort Jesus made to reach him. And now he's on the verge of that final act of rejection that would plunge him forever over the precipice into utter and complete despair. And in that next paragraph, you see that described how he took the bread from Jesus' hand. Jesus offered him another chance, and that was the final chance. And when he did, still rejecting, Satan entered him. And Judas was no longer his own master, but Jesus indicates that he understands what will happen. I'm telling you this before it happens, he said. So when it does, you'll know that I'm the one the scripture's talking about. Now, Judas didn't know what was happening to him or how he had fallen into Satan's snare or that he was on the brink of disaster. You can see these two stand opposed in this moment. Jesus come to serve the world. Judas out to serve himself. He sacrificed Jesus in order to save himself. And in this final appeal, Jesus is directing a word to the holders of these two basic attitudes when he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. That's a word to us. When someone comes to wash our feet to help us with the problem of sin in our life, we're to remember that that person sent by Jesus. It's really Jesus who's offering to wash our feet. This was Jesus' last ditch stand to reach Judas before it was too late. And Judas refuses him as subsequent events are gonna show. But the great truth Jesus leaves us is this. There is no other way to God but him. Maybe a prayer this morning. Lord, in your unfailing way, you reached out to Judas, showing him that you're the only way. Help me to receive both you and the ones you send me, reaching out to restore me to fellowship with you.
Next verse, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. What a weird thing to say. The moment the final betrayal is set into motion at that moment, Jesus says, now the son of man is glorified. Now that the process of handing him over to be killed is in motion, that's when I will shine with greatest glory and God will shine gloriously in and through me. And I think in what must have been one of the most emotionally charged moments of John's life, the next word he heard. Because see, John knew. I think maybe Jesus whispered it to John. Who is going to betray you? He's right there in his ear. And Jesus says, the one I give this bread to. And he gave it to Judas, the other disciples. Maybe they were talking. Maybe they were doing other things. Peter and John were trying to figure out what was going on. But John got it. He's going out to betray him right now. And then Jesus says this, my children, my little children. The word is technia. It's used only once in scripture right here. Now he said children several times. He used a different word. Sometimes I say, children, don't you have any fish? Children this or children that. But then in this one, he uses a whole different term, a term of endearment. My own little children children. There's only one other place that it's used in all of scripture. It's in the letters of John, first John. He uses it seven times. I think this made a profound impact on him. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I've told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Interesting. Where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm leaving you. So the betrayal has been put into motion. The glory of God is about to be seen. And then Jesus uses this word of singular emotion. He looks at the disciples. I think his eyes must have welled up with tears. And he says to them, just like he's saying to us this morning, my children, you've given your life to me. You're mine. My children, does this tell us anything? It was so profound. It changed John. And when Jesus was giving us this new command, John expounds on it in his epistle, in his letter. And he says that Jesus is not calling for us to imitate him, but to participate with him. In fact, in John 15, he goes on, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you stay attached to me, that love that I have, for you will flow through you to the world around you, to your brothers and sisters in church, to the whole world, to the least of these. You won't be able to help it. It just begins to flow. We love as he loved because we love with his love. So community of faith, my little children, in these crucial days, in these historic days, 
times in the life of our nation, in the life of our church, what Jesus is calling for among us, just as I have loved you, that you, community of faith, love one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, ah, Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Two reasons the disciples couldn't follow Jesus this night. One was bad news. They just weren't ready. They didn't have it in them because only the Holy Spirit can enable us to follow Jesus. And it wasn't just Peter who failed. They all failed that night, ran away. But there's another reason they couldn't follow Jesus, and this is very good news, and that is because Jesus was going to prepare the way for us to come to God. That's what his death and resurrection were all about. He wasn't going to die as an example to inspire us, but as a substitute to save us. I go, he says in John 14, the next chapter, to prepare a place for you. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. I mean, we don't even know where you're going. How could we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen to what 1 John 2, 15 through 18, he uses that word, my dear little children, again. He says this, never give your hearts to this world or to any of the things in it. A man cannot love the Father and love the world at the same time. For the whole world system, based as it is on men's primitive desires, their greedy ambitions, and the glamour of all that they think splendid is not derived from the Father at all, but from the world itself. The world and all its passionate desires will one day disappear, but the man who is following God's will is part of the permanent and cannot die. Even now, my dear little children, we are getting near the end of things. Time of testing. Economy so unstable, what's going to happen? Would you rather hoard, depend on yourself, or depend on God to come through for you? You see, what he asks us is nothing less than that we give it all away to him, that we empty ourselves like he did and become a servant. And then we find all the joy and meaning and purpose you were made for. Is God trustworthy or not? Are his principles valid and true or not? If you don't think he's trustworthy, you're going to be worried all the time. You're going to run after material things with all your might. He says, my little children, mine. My newest little grandbaby, 
Arden Andrew Love. He's the cutest baby in the world. He never worries about where his next meal is going to come from. He just trusts his mommy. You trust your heavenly daddy or not? My little children. I think of my children when they were little. They used to go to the beach and build sandcastles, and they loved it. And they got pretty inventive as they got a little bit older, you know, and older childhood, and they, they would make turrets and even have bottle caps. And, but inevitably, the tide would come in and wash away their sandcastle. But you know what they did when the tide came in? They would laugh. They would sometimes help the tide. They'd kick over their sandcastle with it, you know, and, and, and they just thrived, enjoyed the moment. We as adults, a lot of us, we're building some sandcastles. And God's already told us, hey, you know, that beautiful sandcastle, tide's going to come in and wash it away. It's inevitable. It won't last. It's not permanent. But you know, when the tide comes in and washes away our life's work, whether it's when we die or even sometimes we see it before our eyes, we don't smile and laugh and say, yeah, I knew it wasn't permanent anyway, do we? No, we shake our fist at God and say, God, how could you do this to me? How could you allow this to happen? And God just wants to remind us, my little son, my little daughter, it's just a sandcastle. It was never meant to last. Only a few things last. Only a few things last. What was I made for? Our Heavenly Father looks right into your eyes and he says, little girl, you were made for me. Little boy, you were made to be mine. And I'm asking you to give it all away and to serve me and to serve others as I serve you. We're having membership class today. If you've been attending, I love that you're here. But maybe it's time to step in a little deeper. We'll talk about service. We'll talk about who we are and what God wants from us. It's the most exciting thing, what community of faith is and what it's doing. I want you to come. It's at 1245. Bring your kids back if you want to and don't worry about them. We'll feed them. You can leave them here all week if you want to. Not really. <laughs> Where's that drop off? You know, God's got something so good for us. He just does. So good for you. Do you believe it? Why don't you close your eyes with me? Father, I don't know why we have such a hard time letting go 
and trusting you. I don't know why we get so mixed up about what's permanent and what's not. But God, I know something. I know that you love us. It's your very nature to serve. And so you served us by being a substitute for us, taking our sins upon yourself, dying that excruciating death as the sin of all the world was poured out upon you. And you opened the way for us to get to our Father, to get to you. Let us never forget how much you love us. Let us never forget that your love is that love that a husband should have for his wife, cherishing her, honoring her, lifting her up, building her up, encouraging her. That's what you do for us. God, I ask that we won't just be bystanders anymore, but that we will step full in to all that you have for us as we trust your heart. And then no matter what happens, no matter what happens in our economy, no matter what happens in our world, no matter what happens, we'll have that assurance that we're your little children and that you've got us. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done, will of God, in us, through us, over us, around us, and let nothing stop what you have in mind for each and every one of us within the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen.